So I just want to start off with a quick story. Um, about two years ago, um, one thing that me and Michelle like to do, just to get away, because life can get so busy here on the islands, we like to like, take drives to the North Shore. And it's a little vacation away, I mean, here on the island. So sometimes we like to just get in the car, drive up to Haleiwa, have a meal, and it's a good time for us to just talk and get to know one another and share each other's stories. Um, so when, when, about two years ago, we headed up to the North Shore about summertime. And um, so we had our meal, and then we drove more towards um, Kuhuku side. And on the way, I remember, I, I remember surfing at this one beach called Ehukai. It's right next to Pipeline. So I figured, oh, it's a good place for us to swim. It's summertime. It shouldn't be that rough. Um, let's go there. So we got out of the car, pitched our little tent, um, got into our swim clothes, and then we dove in because it was really hot that day. So I was just excited to get in. It was just hot. So we jumped into the water, and little did I know that the water was rougher than what it looked like. So the waves started hitting me, and it, it wasn't like pipeline big, but it was enough to throw me around. And I forgot how strong the current is on the North Shore. So it was just moving us all over the place. And as I was swimming, I noticed, oh my gosh, I have my wedding ring on. So I decided I'm going to be smart about this. I'm going to take my ring off and put it in my pocket. So the waves hitting us, and I'm like trying to get some air as I'm sinking into the water, and trying to, I took off my ring, and I'm just trying to breathe at the same time. And from I unexpectedly, I needed a breath of air, and the wave hit me just as I was trying to get a breath. And all of a sudden, the ring popped out of my hand. And I had that ring for 15 years. I was like, no, not my wedding ring. So I, I became like Smeagol, like, no, my precious. Where's my precious? Stupid Danny, stupid Danny. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I dropped my, I was trying to protect it. And in protecting it, I lost it. And I was diving to the depths. And I'm looking, and all I see is white. I'm looking for some kind of spark. I'm praying, God, Jesus, you answer prayers. You help the women find that lost coin. Please help me find my wedding ring. And I prayed over and over again. I dove up and down, and Michelle just saw me panicking. She's like, what's going on? So I told her, I lost, I dropped my wedding ring as I was trying to put it away to be safe. And she she started helping me look. So we both started diving underwater like we're looking for pearls or, or something, right? And lo and behold, we couldn't find it. And we finally gave up. And I was really hard on myself. I was like, I can't believe I was that stupid. Like, I, I should have known better. I shouldn't have took the risk. I should have got out the water, put my ring in my somewhere safe, and then go back in. But I tried to, like, it never happened before. I should have I I been okay. So I was really hard on myself. I, I, I was, like, mad at myself. I was really disappointed with myself. And Michelle was disappointed, too. And during that whole ride, or that whole time that we meant to spend enjoying one another, it was a time of disappointment, 
and, and hurt. And I had to ask, Michelle, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I lost my ring, wedding ring. Uh, I, I don't know. I'll figure something out. So the ring I have on today, this is from Amazon. It was like only $15. So I bought like three of these. Just in case I lose this, I have an extra. So Because my marriage is important to me. It's my, it, I made a covenant, and I want to honor that covenant. And it's just a reminder that I am married um, to someone wonderful, and I don't want to take that for granted. Um, but I had to ask for her forgiveness. You know, like, it, it's important to both of us. So we're going to be talking about forgiveness this morning. And I gave, um, this morning, I think you got a sheet. And it's called the FP scale. Um, and I want you to look at it. And I'm going to read out these six statements. And I want you to not put down the right answer, but put down the honest answer. Okay? And nobody else will see it unless you really want to share it with the person close to you. And that's fine if you want to keep it to yourself. Okay? So the first statement that we have there is, and you can read it either one through five, whether you strongly agree, five and one, if you disagree, or you can read it as true or false. It's up to you. Okay? So the first statement is, I believe in the importance of forgiveness. The second statement is, there's a lot of truth in the old expression, revenge is sweet. Do you agree or disagree? Three, I believe that people should forgive others who have wronged them. Four, I tend to hold grudges. Number five, I have genuinely forgiven people who have wronged me in the past. <laughs> and the last one, I have to admit, I harbor more than a bit of anger toward those who have wronged me. Okay, so this is just a time to reflect on um, how you feel about it. So let's talk about this story that we're going to head into in the text today. Now, before we go on into it, I would just want to say this, that forgiveness can be a tricky thing, okay? There are some things that are easier to forgive than others. Like, I can forgive someone if they put a dent in my car. I won't harbor that much resentment. Or if someone knocks over my drink, that's pretty easy to forgive. Or... I mean, maybe this one's a little bit harder. Maybe if you lose a ring. <laughs> Yet there, there are things that are extremely hard to be forgiven for because the experience can be so hurtful and so painful. Like, sometimes um, you might feel that revenge or an, an unfortunate event to the culprit would seem so satisfying. For example, it might be hard to forgive someone for infidelity or betrayal, or abuse, whether it's physical, verbal, or even sexual abuse. And just these thoughts of these instances can make your blood pressure rise. 
Why does this person that did this to me even deserve to be forgiven? Now, if you have your Bible, let's look at Matthew 18. And we'll look at verses 21 to 34. Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translation puts it as 7 times 70, making it 490. (laughs) Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will repay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then the servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went, to their, and, went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how the Heavenly Father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sisters in your heart. This is the word of the Lord. So we have this text, and just to help put it in context, um, there's this passage in Deuteronomy 15, and I won't read it to you, but I'll just give you the gist of what it's saying. Okay, so it, hopefully this will make more sense to what we just covered. And it says this, and it talks about how to deal with debt okay, in the, for the people of Israel. And it's quite profound. It says this. In the first verse, it says, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel all the debts. So if somebody owes you money, you're supposed to just cut it clean. At the end of seven years. Who would do business like that? You would love it if you could borrow borrow money, right? In the next verse, it says, You shall not require payment from anyone of your own people. So the people of Israel... They're supposed to just cut the debt, cancel it. But if they're a foreigner, you can have them pay you back. In verse 4, and the reason for this is that 
there doesn't need to be poor people in the land. So we are supposed to help those who are needy. In verse 6, it says, Lend to many nations, but do not borrow from them. So you're not under their control. Like they, they don't, they're not going to rule over you. And then verse 7 through 9, it says this, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, but rather be open-handed. Freely lend to those and show no ill will toward the needy. What an interesting way of doing things. And then it closes with this. There will always be poor people, but be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. Now put that into context. Erwin McManus said, the highest expression of love is sacrifice. So if we love something enough, we will make sacrifices needed to maintain that love. For example, parents make sacrifices for their kids, right? Car owners will make sacrifices of their time and energy to soup up their cars, right? Surfers will make sacrifices to catch a great set. Sometimes skip school if you have to. Sneakerheads will make sacrifices for a great pair of sneaks and wake up 4 o'clock in the morning just to try and be in line for a pair of sneakers. And then there's husbands. Husbands sometimes make sacrifices for their wives if they love them. If not, husbands, you better start making some sacrifices and show your wives that you love them. See, in this story, we have this wealthy king who has one expensive friend, one expensive servant who owes him a lot of money. And this servant has cash checks that his bank account can't cover. At collection time, he begs for mercy from the king, and he just, and the king doesn't just extend the deadline and say, okay, pay me back later. He cancels the debt. 10,000 bags of gold. You know what I could do with 10,000 bags of gold? The king makes a huge sacrifice and cancels the debt completely. See, this king is like Jesus. Jesus sacrificed a lot to come, in, to, come to earth in human form He was despised and rejected by his own people. He gave up his life on the cross so that we could come to know God. Jesus sacrificed all that he had to show us how far God's love extends towards us. The mercy and grace that Jesus Christ forgives us for all our sins is a huge sacrifice. Now, this servant just made out with house money. It wasn't even his money. He just took somebody else's money and spent it. And how does he respond to what the king did for him? He quickly forgets what it was like to have this huge debt that he was graciously given. See, the problem with the servant is that he lacks character. 
there will always be that guy that takes advantage of, of the loopholes in the system. And it will always come at the cost of others. And there's always a temptation to do so. I think we've all done it. There are times when I thought to myself, as I was thinking, I'm like, I'm, I'm scheming and I'm thinking, as if God doesn't know what I'm thinking, right? I'm so smart. I'm going to outsmart God. So I think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this sin. And then after I'm done, I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. And I'll, I'll take advantage of the system. How many of you have ever done that? None of you? Just me? I don't believe you. <laughs> so back to our story. The servant then sees his friend on the street who owes him a hundred pieces of silver and demands him to pay it back. The friend says that he doesn't have it. So the servant goes all MMA on this guy. Like Khabib on Conor McGregor. He puts him in a choker and he's like, give me back my money. And the guy's about to pass out and he's like trying to tap out. And he says, forgive me, I'll pay you back, please. But the servant refuses to relent and sends this guy to prison. So the master hears about what has happened and calls the servant back. And now instead of calling him his servant, he calls him his wicked servant. See, the difference between the two is one. The king was open-handed and merciful for forgiving such a huge debt. And the servant, on the other hand, was tight-fisted and hard-hearted. And this is even after he experienced such grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he quickly forgot the, the things that was demonstrated to him by the king. Now the sad thing is this, that there are many Christians who forgot about the grace that God has given toward them. And I think that's why this story is in the Bible. To remind me, hey, Danny, don't be that guy. You're not all that, son. Check yourself. And I'm like, you're right, Jesus. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You're totally right. Sometimes I forget about what you've done for me. See, Christ has forgiven us and bestowed unto us such great mercy and grace. And as a follower of Christ, God expects, expects us to show the same mercy and grace to those who wronged us. Scholar Donald Hagner states this. He says this. As God freely forgives those who sin against him, so are disciples to seek to freely forgive those who sinned against them. In both instances, the repentance of the sinner is assumed. The failure to forgive one who is repentant casts a doubt on the genuineness of a person's discipleship. The refusal to forgive others will reflect upon the disciple in God's refusal to forgive him or her. So we can tell, or God tells, if you're truly a disciple, if you're willing to forgive. Now, this story does have a harsh ending. 
and a harsh warning. And he, it states this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. If you can't forgive others, then you haven't truly opened yourself to experience and appreciate God's love and grace and His mercy and forgiveness. The horrible truth is this, that holding on to resentment and anger doesn't harm, well, it does more harm to you, the person who's holding on to this unforgiveness, than it does to the one who's offended you. Because it will stick with you, it will go wherever you go. It's like drinking poison, poison and not trying to get rid of it. Now, I do want to say this before I go on. I just want to give a disclaimer, okay? Because I know forgiveness can be a tough thing. It's one thing when a person wrongs you and acknowledges that they did something wrong to you and asks for forgiveness. Yet there are instances where the offender will not admit that they did something wrong with you or to you. Or they might even admit they did something wrong but show no remorse. That's not the same thing that, that this story is talking about. It's talking about a person coming to you saying, I'm sorry, and are you willing to accept the, for, or give that person forgiveness for what they're doing? <clears throat> See, this story compels us to forgive our offender and at least, at the very least, try to put things right. And this story is definitely not about taking revenge. For many people, this can be a very difficult process because people have scars and traumatic experiences. And there's times where you will be reminded of this loss and this trauma that you went through. And this is why I believe Jesus is saying, forgive seven times seventy. Because forgiveness is sometimes a process. One day you can forgive the person and be good about it. And then there's times where it comes back and it hurts you. And it stings. And it's because you've experienced such an injustice. So therefore, we need to forgive the person over and over and over again. And so we as people... We seek to forgive and to heal and to be merciful due to what Jesus has done for us. Now, I'll close with this note. There was a survey done by a Christian research group called the Barna Group in this book, and it was published in this book called Unchristian. If you have a time to read it, um, very good read um, if you won't take offense to what it puts out there. It's just trying to paint a picture of what the climate is like. And in their finding, they found that most people who leave the church or who are not Christian think that Christians are these three things. Hypocritical, judgmental, and anti-homosexual. That's what we're known for to those outside of the church. And I think that's what I find most disturbing about this perception is that we as followers, we're not known for our love. 
We're not known for our mercy. We're not known for our forgiveness of others. And this is one of the main reasons why the next generation is leaving the church and that churches are dying all across America. Now, as I was prepping for this story, uh, this sermon, um, we took, I took one day and we went to Starbucks just to get away. It's easier for me to work outside the house. So we went to Starbucks and then we had to run an errand and then we ended up at McDonald's because McDonald's has free Wi-Fi and you pay a dollar for a drink and you can get free refills and they have the halpia pie there. So I love the halpia pie. So good. So we were studying and as we were, me, me and Michelle were working at the table, I noticed off to the side there was this family that came in, um, this dad with two young kids, a boy and a girl. And they, I, I think they were under the age of four. Um, and they all sat down and they all took out a digital device. And after that, they all had headphones on. So all three of them are sitting there with the device in, their, in front of them and headphones, even the dad. I'm thinking, wow, so sh- what a strange thing to see. Like, and I just heard this message about making minutes into moments. And I'm like, wow, what a squandered opportunity. You could take this time to make minutes into moments. But, you know, to each their own, you know, that's how they do life. I, I, I can't judge, you know. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting. So the dad gets up and he goes to the counter. And then this other family comes in. The two kids sit down. The other parents go to the counter. And this little girl, this cute girl with curly hair, maybe less than four, and her brother, who's a little bit older, sits down. And she's kneeling on the bench. And she looks and she notices, maybe because they have their devices on and they have headphones, and she's like, wow, they're so lucky. Or maybe, I don't know. But she looks at them and she makes this interesting statement. She says, wow. The dad just left the kids there by themselves. And I'm looking at him like, so funny that she makes this statement. But I'm wondering, hey, you kids are there by yourself too. Your parents are at the counter too. And it, it just dawned on me, like, how interesting we make these quick judgments, even as little kids. But the dad did come back with ice cream cones in their hands, and the kids were like super happy eating their ice cream cones. The reason I tell you this is that um, I learned an important lesson from one of my professors at Fuller, Chap Clark, um, who emphasizes in youth and family ministry. And one of his devotions just struck me. And he says, sometimes you might end up in a dilemma. Okay? Sometimes you, if you have to make a decision between two things, to do what is right or to do what is merciful. What would you choose? And everybody had their own answers, right? And he ended up, and he came up and said, I would choose to err on the side of mercy. I'm like, really? I thought we were supposed to do what's right. And he goes on to explain, he says, the reason I would err on the side of mercy is this. On the day of judgment at the end of time, when I stand before God and he asks me to give an answer for why I decided to act out in mercy rather than to be right, what would you say? And he said this, I believe, and he would tell God this, 
I believe you to be a merciful God. You were merciful to me. So I decided to extend mercy rather than to be right as I stand before God in judgment and rather him judge me on being too merciful than being right. As the story goes about the servant and the forgiving king, it's better to be merciful and forgiving than to be right. As a people of God at Ohana Christian Church, my prayer is this, that we as a people of God at Ohana Christian Church is known for our love. That we are people that affirms one another. That we as a people are the most forgiving, the most merciful people. A people full of God's compassion and grace to a world that is hurting and broken and suffering. Let's pray.